0: Sit back, relax. You're listening to the Lazy Procrastination Podcast. I'm Sophie, and this is The Big Sleep. Welcome back to another episode of The Big Sleep. I'm laughing because we just tried to record this and then the mic was possessed, but now we're good. So this is the second episode of the Homework Bound series, and I'm really excited because we're going to be talking about sound and noise and home and music. And also, I'm not on my own. I have a guest who knows a lot more about this topic than I do, and who self-described on Twitter as a queer feminist noisemaker, which is aspirational, and whose name I can't pronounce, Rory, why don't you introduce yourself
1: (laughs) again? the introduction um yeah so my name is Rory or Rory, if you're Irish or Scottish which my family are I (laughs) I'm like a composer and artist and performer and I make stuff around thinking about sound and homes and families and yeah I'm really excited to talk to Sophie about all this stuff because it's something I'm very passionate about
0: yeah so as i just said but i'll say it again because that won't go on the recording we met at uni and then we kind of became friends on twitter by having the same political views and hating landlords and living in east london and now brewery is going to do the ma that i did at goldsmith last year so that's exciting it is really exciting so yeah and um, yeah what you, you just started so you are you going to do stuff about sound as well in the new one <laughs>
1: that's the, that's the hope. Like I'm hoping to like learn a lot more about stuff that I don't have as much experience in through it. And I'm very grateful to you for being my literal guide throughout this whole process. Um, (laughs) so like if this is an exchange of knowledge that I can give to Sophie, I've been literally feeding off Sophie's knowledge for the past seven months. So this is the least I can do. (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's like we both leech up each other for my dissertation on rap I also like took loads of sources and stuff from Rory's undergrad stuff so you know it's just it's sharing it's communism Mm,
1: it is communism
0: (laughs) um so what I was asking you before the mic was possessed was what your new home sounds like because we've both just moved
1: yeah so so if you can tell again (laughs) it's uh it's really quiet um, which I I don't know how I feel about it because I'm used to being in spaces where there's lots of sound going on and I've just spent the past like seven months in Newcastle with my partner Joada's family which was a very loud environment in like a really nice way. There was always someone around. There was always the kettle on. There's like movement, which is weird because for lockdown a lot of people's lives are very quiet. Um, uh, and like even my home, my home home often had a lot of stuff going on this all with the radio one and that kind of person who needs sound around me otherwise I feel really uncomfortable um so it being quiet here is quite nice but I find myself filling the gaps if that makes sense
0: yeah totally also interesting to hear that you were radio home because mine wasn't we were always like singing or talking or my dad If he was there he was on the phone in one of speaking about 12 times as loud as anyone else does because that's his <laughs> bass voice. So, but we never listened to the radio. And then I found that really uh, the first time I um, lived with my boyfriend properly, like after lockdown, he's really... So his house is the radio, which I saw when, when I visited his parents. But then he just does that as well like on his own which i didn't know so anytime that we were in the same room he was just listening to a podcast or something mm. and i've just thought mm. like i'm a beginner of listening but that means because in my house we didn't have the radio I was i'm always listening to stuff through earphones and i've mm. never really had like the sound outside if someone else is in the house which i think really changes the dynamic and it's quite it, interesting
1: it really really I does think. and i like sound was like very much a communal thing in the house growing up like whoever's music was on was the music that everyone was listening to uh whatever was on the radio or whatever conversation was happening it was also like a quite a small space and the down like the main living area was just one big room so there was very little like privacy in good ways and bad ways but that just meant that anything (laughs) that was happening affected everyone whether you liked it or not
0: yeah i see that as well like in a different way i think it's because so we're always like singing or sometimes if it was Mm. to share music it was a thing but otherwise it would be three different people having three different things going on in their earphones but also like singing on top of that out loud Mm. so i can't (laughs) imagine what it would have sounded like for someone who was outside of the bubble but it worked for us um yeah i think one of the things that well I don't think one of the things I wanted to ask you about and I think it would be great if you told everyone a bit more is the Lesbian Family Sound Archive project that you did this year, which I really loved and actually kind of got me thinking as well about this series in general. I, mm. There was a loads of like inspirations, but that one was definitely one.
1: That's so kind. Um, yeah, I think <laughs> part of why I started thinking about it was... Uh, you know, sound in general is very important for me as a musician and as just someone who is very preoccupied with the things I hear. Um, and I, I started thinking about how sound itself was not something that is usually preserved when we're like preserving our childhood. So there are lots of people have lots of images of them as a child, images of their family, maybe some home videos but there isn't that like instinct to <laughs> record just the sounds of you, know, you moving around your house. For a lot of people, and what got me thinking about it is that my family recorded a lot, not just sound, like a lot of video uh, of me and my sister when we were babies and when we were growing up. And we had this, this wealth <laughs> of material of us just being ridiculous as children. And <laughs> I... I was thinking about, one, that's, you know, that's an interesting thing to just have all this material and how can I think about using this in a creative way, but two, thinking about why it might be specifically that my parents felt the need to document literally everything about me and my sister growing up. And I, you know, think it can only be related so heavily to them, you know, being lesbian parents, which was quite a a rarer thing to exist back in the 90s. Yeah. You know, coming from that place of being maybe quite alone or at the start, maybe being quite alone in that, you know, type of existence. The fact that it was such a difficulty for my parents to have me and my sister in the first place, uh, having to go through finding a donor and the difficulties of legally making both my parents my parents before like adoption was even legal in the UK. All of this stuff meant that to have children was difficult to start with. So for them, I feel like there's that inspiration to record as much as possible because it's such a like special thing for them. So, yeah, that was that was what got me thinking about it. And I wanted to make this project that was starting from the point of can I try and record as much of these things as possible, see what people have got already what they already have access to in terms of home videos and sound recordings. And then also talk to some of the other lesbian parents that were in my parents' like social network when we were being raised and talk about their experiences. And yeah, but using specifically the medium of sound over other things.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting because actually I thought about kind of the same... Top, or like not similar topics this year not that my parents um adventure of having children was much easier because they're a cis couple like cis straight couple so that they definitely didn't record much but for music i was thinking or like sound but specifically music for my disc i was thinking about that because my parents are um as anyone who listens to the podcast will know my dad is from senegal my mom is french and that's something that was really present through the sounds i've realized when i was writing my disc this year and i was trying to think about why certain musics. Um, or like musical styles really resonated with my experience. And I realized there was a lot of the mixing that was part of that. And some of that was that when I was a kid, so I don't speak Wolof, but um, when I was a kid, we listened to a lot of Senegalese music. And so I wouldn't, I don't understand the words still, but I remember them from like being three and just learning by repetition and listening to certain musics. And like my dad was, as I was saying, he was always on the phone. So he would like be speaking one of, but then he would be speaking French to us. And It was kind of, and then that's how I realized a lot of those things aren't captured if you look at pictures or whatever, but it's just my own memory of sound
1: mm, and listening yeah.
0: back to certain songs and musics and like just, or literally being on the bus or being. Um, I went to the Black Lives Matter protests in London in June, and then there were three, elderly African men and then I turned around because they were speaking Wolof, off and I was just like snapped out of the moment because there isn't that much Senegalese immigration in the UK mm, so mm-hmm. I don't hear that ever here I hear it a lot more in Paris so that's something yeah just like sound in general seems like something that also captures I guess the less normative sides of a family or a home, potentially. Yeah, Although I'm saying that maybe, maybe white British families also have like very specific sounds that they wow. think about more. But I know for me, it becomes more emotional. I don't know.
1: No, I think, well, I think, you know, sound is a medium that has the potential to be very significant for like lots of different subjugated groups in different ways. Obviously, like music is such a social entity it's not like music exists outside of society music comes from society so sharing music has always been something that has been deeply significant and like you know i think thinking about music in a queer to- context as well like music has always been important for you know the ways that queer people can meet the way they can dance together the way they can uh have shared you know queer anthems and like songs of pride and like so music and sound in general has like always played a very significant role in like liberation movements and but yeah I think the sound of the home is like something I find really fascinating because you've got that rich tapestry of not just the music that's coming through the speakers or but then also the music that you're singing as you said like the languages you use uh the ways you communicate are all amazingly unique for each different. Yeah, and I've... So I've just been reading some Sarah Ahmed, as I tend to do. <laughs> Another <laughs> reason why we're friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally. Um, and thinking about, you know, sh- I, like in queer phenomenology, she's talking a lot about the home and feeling at home and how, uh, like, ho- some people have the privilege of feeling at home in different spaces. And, like people make their own homes within different spaces and homes are created through repetitive acts, through, you know, repeated gestures of being with each other. And you can define your home in so many different ways. And I think one thing that I'm really interested in at the moment is how families, the word families has been used in different ways and how families are defined in very different ways uh, by different people different geographies and you know like queer families is it's kind of like an area of interest in of itself and my parents yeah you know and also
0: it never means yeah it often doesn't mean family as in like if you say queer family the first thing I think about is chosen families and kind of like Mm -hmm. how your friends Mm -hmm. get like how your biological family or like your um, assigned family doesn't necessarily even though yeah so that in itself is super interesting but sorry go on
1: (laughs) no no just thinking about like you know my parents like there were two of them so that's quite normative they're both white we had quite like privileged financially safe upbringing so that in in some ways is quite like heteronormative which they would actually kill me for saying but (laughs) similarly, similarly you know the community that we were part of was such a big, a big, big part of, you know, how I was raised, like the spaces that I moved around in London, you know, there was a lot of shared looking after children, large groups of people looking after lots of different toddlers. And that in of itself is a very non heteronormative way of thinking about families, but also like families, that our concept of family is like, just <laughs> capitalist and Eurocentric. And I think we would just have a much better time if everyone could just like... If it wasn't out. the
0: nuclear family, I know.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I always think about that. because um, My mum always points out, and I guess, so my mum's my white parent, and I think, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if... Basically, she always points out that in Senegal, babies don't cry. And... She's not wrong from what I've observed when I went to Senegal. Okay. But I think one of the, the reason why I was like kind of prefacing that is because I know that, you know, there's a lot of things that are said around um, kind of exoticizing children in other societies, which I think is definitely something that happens. In that case, I actually think children's cry less first of all because they're it's less rewarding for them. As in, in our um, in like nuclear families where you have like one baby, everyone's and I, I also have some anthropology background for the listeners. So <laughs> that might be the <laughs> anthropologist in me jumping out and I can be cancelled, it's fine. But um, I feel like that's definitely something that um, here in like the nuclear families in France or the UK, like a baby is so precious and usually there's only one or two at the same time. So if it cries, it's like, oh my God, what does it need? Whereas I feel like it's... And also they're often on their own. Whereas in Senegal, where I was getting to is that you usually have a lot of different people in the house at the same time, different generations live together. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot Mm -hmm. more children, but also you have a lot more people to take care of said children. And so... Like they don't cry because if they start crying, someone picks them up and like chats to them or brings them to their mum. And then if they're hung- hungry, they can just like eat and feed. Like that's definitely a different way of interacting with kids. And I think just in terms also of like the sounds of homes, I think that's it's such a different way of thinking of children. Like I feel like children also have because there's more <laughs> often there's more in this, in a house or like in a circle they're going to have their own kind of world and life and they'll all be chatting. And I see that because a lot of the kids don't speak to me because, well, first of all, I'm like white and European to them. So they're like, ooh, what does the two bad want? But also, I don't speak well of that well. So mm-hmm. they will be like really chatty between them, but then they'll just know a little bit of French until they go to school, which is like later than we do here. So they just like won't really speak to me, but then really speak to each other. And like, that's also another thing that I feel... Is, like here, if I think of sounds of children, it's gonna be in the playground, or like if I'm in the street and I see school, or like in school. Whereas in a home setting, it's more the sound of like one child or two mm-hmm. children, or like mm-hmm. maybe I don't know, five cousins. Maybe it's because my family isn't that big. Maybe if people have like much bigger families with like twenty-five cousins, I don't know if that's big. <laughs> that's big for me. There's only like five of us, six of us. I'm like, what's big, God?
1: Yeah, it's hard to tell. not Um, sure where I was
0: going with that,
1: but definitely. It makes sense. It's the question of our times, really. Yeah, no, I was just thinking about, uh, you know, the sounds of the home are, if we think about the home not as just a family unit, but like as a space which people come in and out of and enter, leave, you know, like in these large communal families, there'll be people entering the house and leaving the house and different voices speaking within that house at different points and i just think like i don't know part of the reason i find sound as a like something that i find interesting to consider is that it's like it's always around and it's always fluctuating and it's affected by like everything basically and the absence of sound is of itself like a very powerful thing like a quiet home that means something you know and yeah i'm not sure why i was going this this either I, no, but
0: that just got me thinking of <laughs> Something else that I wanted to talk about, because we both uh, lived in halls, like uni halls. And when Mm -hmm. you just talk about the quiet home, that got me thinking that uni was either, either everything was empty and it was eerily quiet, because you're not used to, or at least for me, I wasn't used to um, being so isolated. So in the sense that like if I moved in before term, which happens often because I'm international, so it would be like just a really, really big space that was very quiet and then just like Mm. my music in my room and then the second everyone arrived it would be like so noisy but in in an intrusive way that's not like I mean obviously everyone knows that you hear like your neighbors have sex but also you would hear your neighbor cry and I didn't know my neighbor and it just feels like it's kind of a porous boundary between different makeshift homes that your room becomes because it's like the space that you have and I know I want to make everything home really quickly so I just like bring loads of objects everywhere (laughs) and I'm like now it's my home and yes it's (laughs) a room but it's also my home for a year so I'll make it work um and yeah and then so it was weird to have those kind of like almost intrusions or just and also stuff that was so especially when I moved here first nothing was familiar because the sounds I would hear was like people speaking with really kind of like pronounced British accent. I don't know, singing Mr. Brightside mm. as they like went out <laughs> to dance, and I was like, none of this belongs in my home. What's going on?
1: That is really, yeah. I mean, living in halls is hard. To, <laughs> it's hard to define. It's it's such an unnatural <laughs> way of existing. I don't know, like, and yeah, it is weird that you you know you can like hear your neighbor crying, but you know you're. It's like when you first moved to university as a fresher. And you're like thrust into this environment of loads of people around you going through intense emotional <laughs> experiences, and <laughs> none of you know each other. Like yeah. it sounds, it's, when you when you think about it a bit too hard, it is is quite overwhelming. And I feel, especially you know, for the, like the the freshers going to uni at this point, mm. there they'll be oh, entering yeah. I feel such, so bad for them. such a bizarre. Such a bizarre environment. Yeah, I do feel very, very sympathetic for for people.
0: Me too. What a mess it is. Also, they're going to hear people cough and they're going to be so scared. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah, it's yeah. like you know, that it's it is really interesting, and I think it's also definitely something because. A lot of people, well, I mean, you moved in with your partner after uni, but I feel like a lot of us in this renting economy, home for a long time can't really be this, like, unit that you make completely your own because you'll be in flat shares if you aren't in a hall. Or, like, or even if you rent your own room, like, then basically it's either you have flatmates that you move together and then it's kind of like you're making your own house, but you have to adapt to, like, some things that they do or that doesn't sound, or, like, yeah, that isn't what you would do but you kind of like modify yourself around that but then it's a common home and then otherwise it's kind of like continuing the whole life but in a house where everyone rents their room and there's a lock on your door and then it's kind of what we were saying about living in halls except that it's with less people mm, and that's mm-hmm. definitely something I think that like affects us as a generation well I mean maybe we're the second generation or like that but I think definitely that wasn't as much the case before. like if I think of my parents, they, yeah, they just like started renting their own apartment once they were done with university. and it wasn't like it wasn't necessarily big or anything, but it was theirs, <laughs> or like they didn't necess- they didn't have to be in shared accommodation if they mm-hmm. didn't want to,
1: yeah. and I do think the like there will be, i guess like long term psychological impacts of you know existing continuously in an environment that you know is unstable you know when you're renting you're never truly safe in that space you're you're never truly feeling at home or feeling secure and people you know it doing that at the moment in time will be doing that for the foreseeable future and it does it does scare me a lot
0: um yeah and also in terms of sound you can't make if you're a renter you can't be loud in the same way as in you can never be that loud if you live if you don't live in a house, I think, like just from my own experience living in buildings. Um, it was like, no, you can't make noise on a Saturday morning because the neighbors and nurse and she works at night. So you have to, this is very specific This is my experience. <laughs> we couldn't even like, if we haven't dropped something, because then my sister and I were like going the extra mile to not make any noise. And then she would still come and complain on Ava. And we were like, but nothing happened. We just dropped some pens. Um, but then, which maybe is really loud, I don't know. But then, yeah, when you start renting, the first thing that they tell you everywhere, like, I know that the all caps yelling in the contracts isn't usually, you don't need to live up to that. But kind of one of the big thing is you can't make loud noise, which then kind of, yeah, to me, that's really, I've really become aware of this. And then to the point that, like, now when I go to visit my grandma, she lives like on an island in the summer and I was with my little cousin who's 10 and I was like, let's just go in the field and we can scream because we don't have any neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> just like grandma. But we, it's true. It's not something, you can't be loud. You always have to be like mindful of, you know, the, the how loud the conversations are. Like if you're not, you have to, then sometimes for me, it just steps me out of a situation where we're like dancing or chatting really loud or, you know, where I'm just like, oh, fuck, like maybe neighbors are going to complain and then we won't get our deposit back or
1: whatever yeah Yeah, literally um and yeah sound like sound as a disciplining tool is something that I also Mm. think is really interesting to listen about and it's kind of one of the like easiest ways to control people that we might not be even aware of because so often we're not thinking about the sounds of the spaces we're in or how much sound we can make in those spaces Mm. but then that's, that's very embodied. You know, you're like, you are aware that you can't drop something, even if you're not constantly like, um, I need to keep below this like decibel level in this building. And like, I don't, I don't know if they had something similar where you grew up, but there was a, there was a time in the UK where like outside corner shops to stop people loitering, they started playing high, high pitched sounds um as a way oh. of like God, controlling, that's so hostile controlling. why is this country so hostile it's it's actually terrifying like it is genuinely terrifying i don't know if it was just in london or elsewhere but like it was it, you know you think back and you're just like that is a very terrifying disciplinary tool and like that is also in is school, a-
0: like the thing where it's like about being quiet as a group and, and how um, I was reminded of that by TikTok about because like people <laughs> I'm learning that a lot of things were similar in UK schools and French schools in the disciplinary aspects of it through TikTok because people were like imitating teachers and I'm like, Oh, I know that one. <laughs> um, and for instance that one where like you all had to be quiet and then it went by row. So like if someone spoke on your row you couldn't leave. You right. couldn't, like, go out of class. Right. And I feel like that's really something, just in general, being quite after class. Like, I've started, oh, my God. We're, like, first years who just read Fuku. Like, oh, my God. Can you believe that the discipline in school? But it's true that um, it's kind of... I understand why you have to be quiet during a lesson. Like, I didn't like it, and I always I always chatted because I could self-follow. So it's like, I don't see why I couldn't speak for a second, but sure. Um, but... Once the the lesson's over, it was just really about, you know, discipline and control. And, like, Mm. just can't speak here. Mm. For no reason. Just let us leave. (laughs) But, yeah, that's definitely something that, like, I mean, sound is definitely. Also, it's used for um, torture, like, in in the other end Mm. of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. I know that in Guantanamo, one of the ways that they just, like, implement torture in everyday life, the thing is, there's the light that's, like, on and off at any time so people don't, Know anymore when it's day or when it's night, and then also they play like really i think it's like hard metal, like mm-hmm. just really loudly at random times, like when people are sleeping or whatever, which really because music, as you were saying, it's a medium that's so embodied and like powerful um it's it gives you like it makes you feel really insecure, it's really like an attack on your senses and also yourself and like your body if music is too loud or if music if you don't like it
1: mm. well it's it's you know you can overwhelm people or spaces so easily with sound in ways that you can't necessarily with, you know, someone has the opportunity to close their eyes, but if they're restricted in their movement of their body, they can't close their ears, you know, like you, you're constantly aware of the sounds around you. Um, and yeah, sorry, that, that wasn't really leading anywhere, but I, I don't know. I think I feel like part of my, <laughs> my like mission as like not even as a creative person just as a person is to make people like think about sound a lot more in their daily lives in the way they interact with other people uh what they can hear what they can't hear like whose voices they can hear whose voices they can't hear it's all i don't know i i just think it's is really essential (laughs) to be aware of sound because it is often so invisible i don't i know i've made that point before but um no, think- but it's
0: true, and also I think like yeah, when I was writing my dissertation, it's the first time that I had to think about. I was writing about music, but then I ended up thinking about sound quite a lot as well. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about it as something really important, kind of politically, and and how like music could be powerful in that way. But it was never just also the fact that what you perceive and you don't perceive, and you could like almost train your that like sound is also. I mean, there's no neutral, obviously, mm-hmm. but for instance, that the neutral for me is actually really loud because I grew up in a city and, you know, we all speak loudly in fact. it was a loud home. It was a loud city. And so I don't, it takes a lot of noise to tire me out. And then sometimes I'm really confused when I'm with other people and they're like, oh God, this is so tiring. Like there's mm-hmm. so much going on. And it's kind of like my level of sensory overload is a lot higher than for mm. some people who like let's say, grew up in a quiet home in the countryside but then at the same time i won't hear like I, I genuinely if i hear any animals like the first times that i lived in london for the first month foxes kind of sound like humans you probably know that because <laughs> you've lived in london forever oh, But god, um, god. i didn't know that oh. they sound like a child being like being like hit or like a, a woman crying out for help or something and it would yeah. just wake me up and i was like god put what is this and then here it was the same when i moved like there's some sort of like owl um that i think sounds like a wolf but my understanding of a wolf is <laughs> very um yeah i don't think it's what a wolf really sounds like but that's what i feel from um, the media that i've consumed and that would just wake me up at night but i couldn't just accept that you know it's probably normal and mm-hmm. also like i should just like sleep through it or not pay attention i was just like, but surely there's no wolves in Cambridge. Like, there's no forest. Like, what's going... It, those are noises that are really unfamiliar to me. But at the same time, if I hear, like, explosion noises or, like, um, glass being shattered or stuff, I'm just like, yeah, it's someone who's drunk in the street. I never think someone's breaking in or something. And those, I don't even... Yeah, you mm. know, like, you don't mm-hmm. need to think about that. That's all that you embody and kind of integrate from your youngest age. And also, I guess, the sound is something you hear from, like, so little before you're even born you already like hear sound which is crazy <laughs> i'm like wow nature it's, is really powerful
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's doing great work it's really it's helping us out
0: but yeah well, um, i guess you, you, you always say that you want to make a difference between like sound and music but okay, or like i don't know if you say that but that's what i feel from like talking to you so do you want to expand on that a little bit
1: difference between sound and music well like music is a a specific form of sound that's like how i find it useful to think about it it's like but i don't i don't find it useful to see music as like uh a separate entity it's like music is sound in a specific in in a like different way or that is often like formed by socializing around sound or uh performing with sound, for example, and that can be linked to like performance art or like i don't know m- music kind of relies on its cultural capital more than other forms of sound if that makes sense i, I and like my my own relationship with music coming from a like you know very traditional musicology undergrad degree where you were initially taught to think about music as like basically a like divine amazing magical thing that the ability to write music was bestowed upon some aristocratic germans (laughs) in the 18th century (laughs) and like that is what music is and i feel like my Mm. my process since that point has been trying to take power away from that music and think about well music is just a form of sound ultimately but then is it really and what are the other aspects of music that are not the sonic aspects you know you have performance you have the visual elements you have what what uh mode of listening are you in when you're experiencing that music are you listening through headphones are you at a concert are you walking down the street and you hear it coming from someone's balcony I think I'm not really sure where I'm going with this, but I feel like it's my, yeah, I found it really important to reframe my relationship with music so I can like get more out of it. And because I love listening to music, I listen to music all the time, loads of different kinds of music. It's kind of like constantly on and I got so much joy from music that I was quite disappointed when I went to do my degree and suddenly had a quite negative association with music. I associated music with stress and being forced to listen to types of music that I didn't enjoy listening to or get very much from, or I could get something from it, but I certainly wasn't perceiving it in the same way as the people I was reading who were writing about said music. And I have had to like make myself able to love listening to music again and justify the music I listen to in different ways. So it's, 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 it's hard to, because for most people music is just a thing that exists in their lives that they enjoy and that's nice and that's perfectly fine. And then you get musical academics who view music in a completely different way and it's quite damaging <laughs> to lots of people <laughs>
0: yeah. to
1: put music on such a pedestal. But yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah. When that's,
0: just, that's really interesting because what you were saying about kind of the separation a little bit. Um, I definitely feel that a lot because I'm, well, I'm a feminist deep down, but also I'm a feminist scholar, and hmm. so I have to think a lot about kind of you know the what everything could be everything is in fact like gendered or not product of really? a certain social order and stuff yeah. and, but music is, is so for instance for um for cinema it's not that hard for me to think yes i enjoyed this movie yes it's very sexist well, there's not really a conflict like i'm not that passionate about films i like watching movies but that's it music is really something that i like i hear and fill, and then I think about it with my brain but it's kind of quite separate um mm. and so that also means that there's some music that I really really enjoy that's kind of well, either that has like yeah well, like really sexist lyrics when I was um writing about rap obviously that's something that comes up but also not only like there are certain songs there's this French guy called Serge Gainsbourg who's uh well like he's also quite famous <laughs> here I think like from yeah.
1: the, like, the 60s right, a kind I mean, of pedophilic album, didn't he?
0: Yes. And also, <laughs> just beyond that, he's a despicable person. I mean, beyond the fact that this album's already quite something, but it's kind of like the music end. So this one, you can kind of just throw away, because first of all, I don't think it's that good musically. And also, it's very obviously problematic. But he's such a problematic person, kind of, um, as himself. And a lot of it goes into his art. But then there's a couple of songs of his that I find Beautiful, like there's one called um, "La Chanson de Prévert." It's called. I'll put it in the notes. And I find it really, really, really beautiful. In in the just in like the musical arrangement and the way he sings it, and and kind of I've oh I'm always like looking for covers because I'm like I just don't want to I don't necessarily always want that in my space just because of how much I dislike him. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: also just like as in I think he's a problem, and I think it's a he's really one of the cases where. It's not even about separating, like you know, the art from the artist, which in itself I don't believe in. But also, mm. he just wouldn't. For instance, when I think about like all the shit that we put rappers through, which we should, like, we should criticize the sexism there. But then, then I can't, in good faith, be like, yeah, but you know, girls book is just it's fine. But that's something I, I struggle with, or like, yes, yeah, I'm some, where it's just kind of how I feel about the music. Like, he has a song that I really like. Or it really liked and I never really listened to the lyrics because I just liked the kind of harmonies of it and like it made me happy and once I was putting it on it was I remember it was like a morning really quiet morning I was with my boyfriend I think we were on holidays there was some sun it was we were chilling in the room and then I was like oh I'm gonna put on some music and I put on this song and he was like do you really want put on this song right now like it's not really the vibe and i was like why it's a happy song he was like no so if it's a song about murder <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> what do you mean and it's called marino underneath the snow and the snow is the snow that like well basically he killed her in the previous song and it's a it's a concept album that like tells a story and he sees her sleeping with two other people. Um he uses really well he basically like calls those two black men like monkeys and stuff. But I never listened to the song that comes just before. So I never paid attention to that. I just like the, the own isolated song. And then I was just, like just listen to the song before that in which he talks about her murder. And then the song that you like is like <laughs> a dead body in the of Snow. I was like, ah interesting but I can't I can't, in good faith, say that I don't enjoy this song. Like, I don't want to listen to it, but there's something with how it feels, that mm. just how it sounds, that I think it sounds good. And that's, that's also kind of almost the power of music is that you can just like be dancing. We just dance on stuff that we realistically don't agree with mm. so much of the time. I think I I do. I'm saying we, maybe everybody else manages to (laughs) (laughs) separate both. Um, And there's this one academic text that you, that I found through your dissertation um, where, so the, I can't remember the author, but I'll find it. She's writing about classical music and a really sexist score from, I think Carmen or an an opera, And she's writing about how to like engage with those texts that brought, brought us so much pleasure And that we enjoy and that we appreciate certain aspects of, but also that we deeply condemn from a lot of other perspectives. And how do we manage to like still engage with them, not just like banish them? And what I liked is that when she said that, she didn't just say that because it's important to engage with things you disagree with and deconstruct them. She was also saying something about kind of the pleasure that we've had from interacting with those works. And how it would almost also be our loss if we didn't find a way to still kind of like engage and criticize, but also like value some parts of these works. And that that has really stuck with me.
1: I think <laughs> it was maybe Susan McClary. I could be getting that wrong, but...
0: Yes, um, yes, yes, yes.
1: Yeah. No, I think uh, you're right. Yeah, no, I think I, I really, yeah, I really appreciate the way she writes about, <laughs> um, like, just thinking about music and how, you know, music... And like musical artifacts are, as with any cultural artifact, like it's not, it doesn't die on the point of completion. They always continue living and gaining more meaning and being reframed in different ways. And if you, if you're able to like view it, view a like musical artifact as, as like that, you know, something that keeps gaining new meaning and may gain a completely different meaning in a completely different context in the future. Like that allows you to engage with it in a way that is less like, this is essentially bad, or this is essentially indicative of me being a terrible person by enjoying to it. <laughs> and like, yeah, you know, I, there's a lot of music that I supposedly great music by terrible people that I don't enjoy just period. And there's a lot of supposedly great music by terrible people that, I have fondness for but I then also find difficult to listen to um and there's I don't know I I think if you find joy in something you can you just have to think about why you're finding that joy how important that joy is to you and how productive it would be for you to deny yourself that joy in place of something else I'm just trying to phrase this right in my head because like I have no joy about listening to Wagner, even though people think he's great. He was a massive anti-Semite, but I also just think he's really overrated and he can, he can die, die in history and I'm fine with that. But then I'm trying to think of a good example to illustrate my point here. <laughs> Bear with me. What I'm basically trying to think of, which I can't think of a specific example of, is, you know, like pieces of music are adopted by different groups of people to mean something very specific. So this is less about, you know, dodgy music being used for good beans and more just about music being ever-changing and ever-fluid. So like, okay, okay. So a song like um, For Once in My Life by Stevie Wonder. Great song. Yes. Great, joyous tune. Really powerful and beautiful just in of itself. But then also, if you think about the lyrics a bit more specifically, it's talking about finally being able to find someone who understands you for who you truly are and loves you for this specific thing about you, which other people might find difficult in so many words. So that song was used by queer people, uh, as a, as a sort of vehicle for them to express their anguish or a song like, um, living in shame is, is not about being gay like all these beautiful Motown songs, but, they can be taken and transformed and gain political and cultural weight by being adopted by different people as like symbols of their movement or of their political aims and something that they can find collective joy in and i think it's really beautiful that you know music is not fixed and is never fixed and will always be gaining these cultural meanings and it's not like Stevie Wonder was like, I'm gonna write a gay anthem, but he inadvertently did. I mean, I don't know, he might have done, but um and <laughs> like is that not an incredible thing <laughs> to 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 know that music isn't an isolated, dead thing. It's it keeps going. Yeah. That's,
0: and that's definitely <laughs> something I read. I think it was the McCai one about how like when you listen to things. So I was thinking about um on the dark end of the street, I always thought that that song was about um interracial love and like mm. and that that's what it meant when I was listening to that song like in isolation and then I, and I googled because I was like my god maybe it's like an anthem that I don't know about um and then I realized that no it wasn't it was about cheating <laughs> like it was about a um a, but the fact that that's how I heard it and I think that it also really carries something that's kind of you know, like, Part-Time Lover is a song about cheating that really doesn't have the same um, emotional vibe <laughs> that yep. On the yeah, Dark yeah. End of the Street does. Um, and that's something that really, I think, like, the idea of, like, performance and also hearing songs. And I think having certain... For instance, there are songs that are very kind of... Um, that sound a certain way if they're performed by, yeah, like, a, a straight man. And then if they're sung by a woman, it's completely different. Or, like, there's there are so many ways to, like, make sounds we, we drifted away from home i just realized but it's fine it's really interesting um yeah there are so many ways to like make sounds and with the music like just change the message kind of through the performance and it's exactly what you're saying with kind of collective joy and songs being recognized by a group but also i feel that also can happen individually that like obviously because through oh i guess no it's fine we're making a u-turn to go back to home you attach yeah. certain memories and feelings to certain like songs and sounds, and so then they become imbued with a certain moment in your life for a certain place that you lived in, a certain travel, or heartbreak, um, or joy, or like, you know, when maybe a song was always playing on the radio when your first kid was born, and that's something that will always remind you of that. And that's magical, I guess. that's like I feel like that's something, it's probably not magical, it can probably be explained, but I refuse to explain it. I think it's magical.
1: Well, no, I, I was just thinking about, you know, when I was um, going through all of these like home DVD, home films where well, they weren't, they've been put onto DVDs, but they were on these like old mini VHS tapes and all of these different recordings we had from uh, from my childhood. And there was this one that I just kept returning to and it didn't end up making it into the sound piece because of copyright reasons, but it's a, a video of my mum, like dancing around our front room with me as a very young child. Uh, listening to Let's Stay Together by Al Green. And we listened to Al Green so much growing up. And there's this clip that it's, it's you know, visually it's got me as such a vulnerable young child and you can see just the like absolute love radiating from my mum onto me. And, you know, it's I just kept returning to that clip because sonically I could h- hear, you know, the standard recording of our green song let's stay together and feel really emotional about it but then in this moment I was listening to that song combined with the sounds of home around it the sounds of my sister moving around and maybe shouting the sounds of my mum behind the camera speaking this and it all being kind of transmuted through the like kind of crappy audio quality on this old tape camera and I just was transfixed by the, like, immense kind of, (laughs) like, really overwhelmed by, like, the amount of, like, emotional potency that was packed in this one small thing. And I, I don't know, I just found, like, it was so important to think about the, like, literal sound of that recording containing so much information as opposed to just the sound of the song. And yeah, I don't know, like,
0: yeah, I just keep thinking point. about that. Maybe one day you'll manage to do something with it. Uh, maybe well, one like, day I, you'll I, get really rich and you can copyright. <laughs> <you're> right. <laughs> uh, so,
1: well, yeah, so I did a, I actually managed to use it in, um, I did a performance at a Tate Late in February, like just before lockdown. And it was like a DJ set, but I also did bits of performing and improvising alongside it. And because it was in response to the Steve McQueen stuff that was going on at the Tate at the time and his year three project I was oh I had all these you know childhood related audio artifacts that I could use in different ways and I, I finished the set with this recording uh which was just I was just like great I could just put it here and everyone's going to listen to <laughs> me like boffing around as a very young child and that's going to be the thing that we're all focusing on which I enjoyed a lot
0: yeah um That's so nice. I, I kind of feel like I've seen it. It's like you've described it really well, and because I know the song, then mm. it feels yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I know I almost want to end here because that was beautiful. But actually, that made me think of one another th- scene that's kind of like similar
1: mm-hmm. um
0: in my house, where we always listen to uh Chrissy Hines or like The Pretenders, um him to her, mm-hmm. and like I think it's a song that's. Like actually about, I guess another layer is that I didn't speak English for most of my life, so like I don't yeah. actually know what these songs were about. <laughs> just, I think this one is about grief. I think someone died, but it's just I think it was a song that we listened to a lot with my mum, my sister, and I, and my mum. And then we went to see their. Um, oh, I know, I'll get to that. But so that's something that we listened to throughout my childhood. It was just so just a happy song because we could all sing it together and like harmonize it felt great i don't know how well it actually sounded i don't know that we have recordings although my sister films a lot of things so maybe she does and it was just a really like for me it was really a moment of kind of like feminine almost um like i don't know unity or Mm -hmm. it was often just the three of us and that song is a song about her and i don't know if it's like a lover who died or if it's like her, but I don't know anything I think it's about maybe a daughter I just remember the words but like even right now that I actually understand them um, I can't really make sense of it I'll go mm-hmm. do some research maybe it's about like her cat or something and I'm completely wrong <laughs> but it for me really felt like a this song of like kind of like love and it's just a really it's a really like, big song and then when we were a lot older I guess just before I moved out so maybe my last year of high school um the pretenders did or like just Chrissy Hind did um performance in paris like a show in the Salle play which is a a room that was built for classical music and usually has classical concerts but then they have sometimes they have a couple of people who are pop stars (laughs) perform there and um i remember so that was really cool because it was kind of it was a completely different setting i've always ever heard this these songs the pretenders at home 'Cause they're not really you know how like Fleetwood Mac made a big comeback and so I heard them oh I guess yeah. they're always coming back. But so I heard them at home but also I heard them in like movies and I heard them everywhere. Yeah. Um the presenters for me were like one of my mum's singers. So then going to that my sister and I were definitely the youngest people in that room and there mm. was a lot of people that were like my mum's age and was kind of like hey i'm really happy to be in paris this is fun like what do you guys want me to sing i'll sing a few stuff from the new album but otherwise just like pick and everyone was shouting and that one was the last one and it was just so i just remember how beautiful it was to have kind of my home experience and memories transposed into this big room and then i was like all of these people have personal relationships to that song Mm. and it kind of was yeah that was like the music traveling again but to me it's always kind of my sister and mum and me singing it rather than the song in itself, the recording in itself just brings these voices and like home sounds. Like typically my mom cooking and then my sister being like, I don't actually only listen to bad music, look, and then playing him to her and all of us just singing that. That's a memory. (laughs) And I feel like, yeah, that's kind of, that's my equivalent. But I don't know if we've captured it, which is why it's actually really cool that your parents recorded so many things.
1: Mm, That sounds really beautiful. And I'm I'm very glad (laughs) that you had that moment and that I've been able to have an insight into how that felt. That's really beautiful.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, do you, oh no, I guess one last thing to wrap up. We could both give, I guess we just did, but like if I asked you what song makes you feel like home and it can be any anything, it can be right now. It can be in general. It can be the home from when you were a kid. It can be a singer if it can't be a song or um, a musician. Mm. And then we can give people recommendations.
1: Yeah. Well, if it if it wasn't going to be the Al Green, which it probably would be, it would probably be uh, You're All I Need to Get By, Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell, I think. Yeah. I mean, we basically just listened to loads of Motown and Soul, as you can probably get gained by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That That always, always gets me. And, like, thinking about us, like waltzing around and singing it together and harmonizing and yeah i i, I love that your home was also a singing home that makes you really happy
0: <laughs> we sing all the time we sing at the table i know that it's bad manners but um, if it was just my mum, my sister and i she would let us do it and then whenever my dad was there because he traveled a lot he doesn't like it that much when like people chat a lot or like sing it's like first you eat and then you can chat Mm -hmm. and my sister and i like we're just like no i don't care so we're just singing and he was always like appalled (laughs) that we wouldn't even respect the table enough to like not just belt out singing instead of eating our dinner which i guess maybe i'll change my mind when i'm older but i love that i think it's really fun to sing at the table everyone Mm. try it
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely so what (laughs) would be your your song choice
0: Um, I'm trying to think, I think it's um, this Senegalese singer called Yusundu, um, who's kind of like a pioneer of Mbalach. And it's really funny because it's young people my age would think he's kind of old-fashioned. He's more like our parents' generation. Mm. But because that's the music I... So the, the album I'm thinking about would be um, a song called Birima, And that album's from 2000. But it's it's already like kind of... He started in the 90s, late 80s, 90s. And... That's just a song, I think it makes me feel like home because I've always really liked it, but also because it was because I grew up in France and it, it was a um, Senegalese singer, it was really a home music. It felt really personal. It didn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't necessarily play it to my friends or anything, or it would be like a novelty thing if I showed it to my friends because, you know, I was always like, maybe it's a little bit weird or at least they won't know it, definitely. And also like, maybe they they won't understand. Um, is kind of how I felt, I think. So it always makes me feel at home because it makes me feel like it's something that kind of belongs to me and my family. And like if I sang it to my mum or my dad or my sister or also like my aunts, like kind of extended, um, it's my aunts from Senegal, they're all like, oh, good, you like know the lyrics, good job, because they know I can't speak well. (laughs) But when I was a kid, I remember learning them and then everyone being impressed when we went on holidays. And they were like, you know them, good job. And then my cousin's being like, why do you only listen to old people's music? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think it would be that one. But I'll put everything in the notes and then everyone can make themselves a playlist of good music.
1: Oh, that's so nice.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I guess that's it for you. We should wrap up. Thank you so yeah. much for coming on. This is definitely the most, I think, like not theory heavy, but like thinking heavy episode I've done so far. I'm really oh, well. grateful. So thanks yeah.
1: for coming. No, thank you so much <laughs> for inviting me. It's been it's been really joyous to just talk with you Yay. and remember with you. It's really beautiful. Uh, thank you very much for letting me be part of it.
0: Fabulous. So everybody, you know the drill. There would be another home series coming soon. I don't know when, because I'm not that great at being on time. Um, follow the Mermit Cafe on social media. It's the band that Rarian and their partner, Joanna, have and it's pretty really great so yeah that's what i can say and yeah we're we're there so thanks everyone bye bye